Thanks for listening to Let's Talk About It with Jackie and Megan. In this episode, we interview Trent Horn about bridging the gap between Catholics and Protestants. Trent himself converted to Catholicism and has earned his master's degrees in theology, philosophy, and bioethics. He works for Catholic Answers as a staff apologist and is passionate about teaching Catholics to graciously and persuasively engage with those who disagree with them. Trent has written numerous books and also hosts his podcast, The Council of Trent. We asked Trent several things, including points that can unite us all as Christians, the main issues still dividing Protestants and Catholics, and misunderstandings that exist, also how to fruitfully dialogue, and much more. Thanks for listening. Hi, Trent. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, for our listeners who don't know you, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you do, and your own conversion story? Sure. Uh, my name is Trent Horn. I'm a staff apologist for Catholic Answers. Catholic Answers is a media apostolate dedicated to explaining and defending the Catholic faith. Uh, it's been around since the late 1980s. Uh, I joined the staff in 2012. Uh, before that, uh, I was working for the Diocese of Phoenix in their Marriage and Respect Life office. Um, when it comes to schooling, I have master's degrees in theology, philosophy, and bioethics. And I've written now, I don't know, probably about nine books. I do podcasts, anything I can to help people better understand the Catholic faith, uh, to share that. Uh, but also, I find a lot of times now I am defending Christianity in general in a, in a growing secular culture. And so, in yeah. fact, actually, at the end of August, I'm going to be speaking at a conference, the Capturing Christianity Conference, and it will be focusing on defending uh, what C.S. Lewis called mere Christianity. And what's funny there is I'm going to be the only Catholic speaker. So, oh, <laughs> oh. oh yeah, I'm going to speak about Aquinas and uh, other Catholic elements related to defending uh, core Christian beliefs. And so that's something I've done for a while. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I've also, um, I'm married. Uh, my wife and I got married about eight years ago. We have three children and we live in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Uh, so life is good, very blessed. And I'm always looking to, to bless others and help them to better understand the faith. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing all that. Um, I think it's, it's, it's neat that you're going to the Capturing Christianity Conference. Um, I know Cameron Bertuzzi has a great channel. Um, oh, it's a stupendous channel. Yeah, uh, so I'm so going to be, awesome. well, I'm going to, uh, I'll be down there. And then Cameron is supposed to have me come on soon uh, because he had Jerry Walls on to talk about Walls had a particular argument against Catholicism. Sure. And so Cameron uh, is going to let me come on to offer uh, an opposing view here. Uh, hopefully soon we're just trying to get our schedules together and he's, yes. <laughs> he's um, busy with his own home office setup. Oh, I forgot to mention also I'm a convert. Uh, when I was growing up, I wasn't, I didn't go to church. It was kind of a non-religious household. My parents, dad's Jewish, mom is nominally Christian. Uh, so I didn't go to church or anything like that. In high school, I met Catholic friends that got me to do investigating and I became Christian then about a year later, I was baptized uh, into the Catholic Church and the Catholic faith when I was about 17 years old. Very cool. <laughs> so as you interact, obviously, you know, with Capturing Christianity and Cameron, that group and um, 
you working with uh, Catholic Answers and all of this, you've had a lot of experience just with talking to a lot of different types of Christians across the Christian tradition. Sure. So what have you found to be points that really unite us as Christians? You know, because we can talk about differences all day long, but what have you found to really unite us? Well, we need each other because the culture as a whole has turned against the historic Christian faith. Uh, Gallup, I think, recently released a poll saying that let, that only 47% of Americans uh, identify as Christian or go to church. I know that <clears throat> the poll recently came out saying that, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> sorry, I am a uh, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit under the weather because I have three kids and they keep me up through, oh, through, no. all, through all hours <laughs> of the night. So you all, when you're up all night, I'm sure it's because you guys are having, when you're young, you have those late night conversations with people or have adventures. <laughs> For me, it's just people are crying and oh, always no. someone has to, well, our nine month old, our nine month old with babies, babies are, are cute until they aren't. Uh, yeah. It's a good thing they're cute or they, they would be dead yeah. uh, because- what babies do is when they learn a new skill, uh, they like to practice it in the middle of the night and they get upset about it. So like our baby will flip over onto his back like a turtle and can't get back on his front and he'll do that all night. And it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's great. Um, but we, so we need each other because, uh, the majority of people in this culture either are not Christian or they're Christian in name only. They don't believe in the necessity of salvation by grace. They don't believe in hell. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say, you know, a majority of our culture believes there's nothing wrong with um, abortion, at least abortion in some cases. Mm -hmm. uh, so the percent of our culture that believes that it's wrong, you know, that it's wrong to kill children through abortion is very, very low. Those who embrace homosexuality or transgender ideology, very high. So I would say that the big thing here is that we really do need each other. And like what unites us is more fundamental than what divides us. What divides us is important and we do need to talk about it. But what unites us, our belief in, in one God who is a, a trinity of three co-equal and co-eternal persons, uh, the son who became incarnate uh, for the sake of our salvation, died to atone for our sins, rose from the dead. Uh, and we, we believe th these are the essential things. They are the core of our faith. Uh, and so it's good that we're united in these core elements. The other things are important. It's not that they're not important. They are just not as fundamental as the things that unite us. And it's important for us to work together to help turn a culture around from its embrace of, of secularism and, and all the other isms. Mm -hmm. yeah. I totally agree, um, especially with the abortion issue. I don't know if I, if you mentioned this, but Megan and I both work in pro-life work. Oh, good. And yeah, we work together. That's how we met. But the amount of Catholics that the Catholic churches that we go to, you know, to promote our organization that aren't pro-life and just totally reject that teaching of um, not just Catholicism, but, you know, Christianity as a whole is mm -hmm. super <laughs> disturbing. And it's something that Megan and I have united a lot on, even though yeah. know, I'm Catholic and she's Protestant. Um, I think well, we found in our own friendship just the the similarities we have. It's very true. In fact, many of my conversations, my in-depth conversations with Protestant friends uh, were based in the friendships I had when I did pro-life missionary work. Uh, oh. I, now, I did that after I graduated college in 2007. After that, I traveled the country for a few years doing pro-life mission work. And our team, I was with a group called Justice for All. 
it was, it was really split down the middle, Catholics and Protestants. So we had all kinds of conversations mm-hmm. about our agreements and our differences. And we got a lot, and they were very good natured because we shared something so important that even a lot of other Christians didn't value, which is standing up for, for the unborn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, it's just so good to just to be reminded that like, at the end of the day, we all believe in Christ and his right. death and resurrection and, you know, that salvation and there might be doctrinal differences, but we can, we're brothers and sisters at the end of the day. And so I think, I think that's just a good reminder that absolutely like, yes, we can like really, we can hash it out with our differences and we could really go at it. But at the end of the day, like we can shake hands as we're, siblings. Be, well, because we're we are all united in the body of we are united in the body of Christ mm-hmm. through uh, our common baptism. That uh, if you have a common <clears throat> if you're baptized, mm-hmm. then you are united to the body of Christ, and you're even united to uh, the church that Christ established. Now, obviously, as um, as as a Catholic, we believe that the church Christ established. The particular word is subsists it subsists in the Catholic church and that it has bishops and a hierarchy to give it a historical continuity through time. But we recognize that it's not identical to that because there are others through the co- their common baptism that are also united to the church, though in an imperfect way. So in our conversations between Catholics and Protestants as a Catholic, I want our Protestant brothers and sisters to be in, in perfect communion with Christ's church. And there's a lot of dialogue to, to have there about that. But I will say that it's easier to have that dialogue because we have so much in common the gap is much less than between myself and an atheist or, or you yeah. two talking to an atheist where there, the gap is, is, is much, much more different and, and wider to cross. So yeah, talking about this differences between Protestants and mm-hmm. uh, Catholics. And I went to a very Catholic school, so I was just surrounded by Catholics. And then when I moved to Chicago, I became friends with a lot of Protestants. And then of course, Megan, who's like my best friend in Chicago. And I found yeah. that I've learned a lot from her, even though she's in, from a different faith tradition. Um, that have you interacted benefited my faith? Yeah. Have you interacted with, so in Chicago, have you interacted with anybody at Moody? So I'm That's from me. Moody. You are from Moody yes. Bible Institute, where yep. Bible is our middle name. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I graduated from. That's great. So Jackie and I joke that we had like the same experience, but just opposite of like, she had like the Catholic Moody yeah. and I had the Protestant Franciscan. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> so true. Um, yeah, but I've, I've learned so much from Megan. And I mean, I'm sure you've learned a lot from discussing the faith with Protestants. So yeah. what do you think as a Catholic, we can learn from our Protestant brothers and sisters in the faith? Well, I think there's different things that we can learn from one another. One thing we can learn is just how to talk about our differences and see that sometimes the differences that we have, um, they sometimes they result in just semantics that uh, we're, we're actually talking about the same thing. We're just using, we're using different words to be able to describe it. So uh, Pope Benedict XVI even said that Luther's formula, salvation by faith alone, it can be valid if you understand faith to be more than intellectual assent. It, that it's, uh, as Galatians chapter 5 says, Paul says that we are saved by uh, faith. What matters, he says, is faith working through love or charity. So I think that that can be helpful. Um, Other things 
<clears throat> excuse me, that when we talk about um, the differences we have, I really do feel like sometimes, yeah, it's it's vocabulary. And sometimes in practical matters, we believe the same thing, but we arrive at that belief uh, in different ways and we have different justifications for it. So for example, I would say that the Catholics, for example, take the doctrine of mortal sin and venial sin. A lot of Protestants would say, well, you know, I don't, sin is sin and Christ died for our sins. I'm not going to divide up sins into mortal or venial sins. And what Catholics would say is, well, venial sins damage our relationship with God, but mortal sins sever that relationship. And so we're, we're cut off from God and to die in that state, we would be apart from God for all eternity. I truly believe that nearly all, nearly all Protestant Christians do believe in uh, a concept of mortal sin and venial sin, but they don't um, they don't use the, that language because there are a lot of Protestants I know who would even Protestant. There are some Protestants who say, "Well, you can lose your salvation," and the probably there are Luth many Lutherans and others believe that. And if that's the case then clearly there's two kinds of sins. In James 3, 2, it says, we all stumble in many small ways. So if you can lose your salvation, there's little sins that damage your relationship with God and big ones where you would be forsaking your salvation. Uh, even among Protestants who would say, well, you can't lose your salvation if you're in that framework. Many people I know who believe that, and feel free as I wrap up here to correct me if I'm wrong on anything, would say, okay, you can't lose your salvation, but imagine somebody who was Christian their whole life and then they leave the church, become an atheist, become a really bad person, don't repent. Many Protestants I know who believe salvation cannot be lost would say, well, that person was never saved to begin with. I mean, that's a whole other can of worms to open up. But notice here that that person has engaged in the kind of behavior, the kind of sins that Christians don't commit, like atheism, apostasy, adultery, uh, abortion, you know, the big A's, you know, but it's, so I, do, I really do feel like our Protestant brothers and sisters would agree nearly all of them. Now there's some Protestants who believe, Hey, once you're saved, even if you become an atheistic serial killer, you're going to heaven. There's a small minority that believe that. Uh, so that, that would be bracketed from this discussion. But, but I, but for me, I'm like, wow, I think we, 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 we do believe in these two different kinds of sins. We just cash it out differently. And so I think when we have these discussions, we can find that common belief. We just arrive at it in different ways. I don't know if that all made sense to you guys. I'm just throwing that out there. No, yeah. I think um, this is something Jackie and I have seen just with each other. I mean, we've just as friends had lots of conversations regarding like, you know, I would be like, oh, so like, why do you go to confession? Or she would say like, so why don't you believe in this and blah, blah, blah. Right. And then, you know, we did an episode on um, Sola Scriptura and mm -hmm. then on Mary. And I think something like our big takeaway, obviously we didn't like convince the other person, but our big takeaway was just like, wow, we really need to like define our terms right. and actually like make sure that the category I'm describing is the same category you're describing. Because even like when it comes down to like little things, like we're talking about the Bible and we're both saying tradition and we're meaning completely different things. Right. And so we could completely talk past each other without realizing like, well, at the end of the day, actually we do agree on a lot more than we realize, but it's gonna sound like we don't agree at all because we're not even talking about the same thing. And so I think that's a great point to bring up too, is that, you know, if we actually take the time to listen or ask questions of like, well, what do you mean by that? You know, like, right. okay, 
you have these categories of sin and I don't use those words, but wait, do I categorize sin at all? You know? And so I think it's, it's, a, it's just good to even just take a step back sometimes and like let go of some, you know, preconceptions we may have of like, well, I know I'm Protestant, so I don't believe in mortal sin. <laughs> it's like, well, right. But then wait. it's like, but I do believe I don't call it mortal sin, but I believe there are some sins that Christians do not do not commit right. on a repeated basis. Yes. There, you know, we're going to make little sins every day because we're sinners. But there's some things, if you are a Christian, you're not doing these things, especially in a habitual and unrepentant way. So yeah, you're right. You, you don't use the term. Another thing I think is helpful when we're talking with each other is to correct misunderstandings that can arise. Like, here's a classic one. People say, well, Protestants believe that we're saved by faith and Catholics believe that we're saved by faith and works. And so we, we got this divide here. But the thing is, the Catholic Church doesn't use the phrase, like the, do, the magisterial documents don't use the phrase faith and works as if we are saved by faith and works. Instead, when you look at the catechism in paragraph 2010, it says that in the order of salvation, the initial moment that we are saved, <clears throat> which is Catholics, we would say is in baptism, that cannot come through works. There are no works you can do to merit the initial moment of salvation. It is only received by grace. And, um, and it's by grace alone. So you take a, when a baby is baptized, the baby does nothing. The baby doesn't even exercise faith. The baby is just saved by grace. It, now it's grace through the faith of the parents choosing baptism for that child. But to understand, we, we would say, hey, look, we, when, to be saved, it's by grace through faith. And like when I was baptized when I was 17, I didn't move of my own accord to get baptized. The Holy Spirit prompted me to say yes to God's offer of salvation. And so I received that grace and baptism, but there was no work involved in that. However, we do believe that because justification is an ongoing process, uh, it's something where by being obedient to God, by f doing the good works he's prepared for us, like you go to Ephesians chapter two, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, uh, you know, you, you can't boast. You've been saved by, great, by grace through faith. And this is not of works that any man should boast. But then verse 10 says that God has prepared good works for us. So in the whole Ephesians 2 in that entire passage, it seems that what Paul is saying, he's comparing works and good works. Verses 11 through 14 show that the works are probably the works of the Mosaic law. And, that, and I don't want to get into too much of a theological discursus here. But my point being that we... We do agree. We're saved by faith through grace. We also believe that works by simply obeying God as our father. We are his children through baptism. And when we obey him, God transforms our souls. The light of Christ that's been given to us shines even brighter uh, when we cooperate with God's grace to do the good works he's prepared for us. To give you an example, like I got my my kids, like let's say my, my four-year-old. If I asked my four-year-old to draw a portrait of me, It'll look like a bunch of squiggly lines and I'll tell him this is the best thing I've ever seen. And I might give him like a, a reward for doing that. Not because the picture lo looks amazing. It, it doesn't. But it's, <laughs> but it's because he's my child and I love him and he is choosing to obey me and trying to please me. Uh, now, if I hired a portrait artist and I paid him and he gave me that and demanded I pay him that for the work, I would say, sorry, my friend, you don't deserve anything from me. This is horrid. And that is what the Bible is saying when it says that our works, when they're brought to God of their own human accord, they're like the squiggly lined portrait. It's mm -hmm. terrible. 
But when those same works are brought to God in a spirit of humility, because we obey him as his sons and daughters through baptism, then through that, God wants to, to reward us, and he wants to increase our justification to conform our nature to be more and more like him. So that's just a little bit to throw out there to help. Because uh, some people, yeah, on, on the justification issue, um, there can be misrepresentations, and it's all about trying to, to see it in the right light. Yeah. And I know, um, so I grew up in a very interesting circumstance because I personally had Catholic friends, but I grew up in a very reformed, evangelical, conservative kind of culture. That was the mm -hmm. environment I was in. And so right. it was funny because I had this one friend group of Catholics and then another friend group that were like, Catholics aren't Christians, you know, like those, that kind of <laughs> divide. Thankfully, that's, that's shrinking. I've seen also yes. in the past, in the past 20 or 30 years, it's a smaller, it's a very, it's a small minority among Protestants who would believe Catholics are not Christians. Yeah. And the same the other way too, I think. Right. I think yes. there's a lot more of a bridge being built. Um, but it was funny because a lot of times when I would really like dig deep and ask like, well, why, or, you know, what do you think they believe that's wrong? It was mischaracterizations. It was, you know, well, they believe that you have to like work your way to heaven. Right. And when I would explain like, well, no, I really don't think that's what they believe. Like I've talked with them. They're my friends. You know, it was just very much dismissed. And so I think like, you know, and this is what Jackie and I talk about all the time too, this endeavor just to, to bridge that gap and have understanding is so important right. because, you know, I can, I could sit at home and read theology books and think I know everything about Catholicism, or I could just go and ask Jackie, someone who's a Catholic, and right. that would probably be a lot more fruitful in my understanding. <laughs> and it's important for Catholics to do the same thing because, and this is especially important for Catholics to do, because for you as a Protestant, <clears throat> under trying to understand Catholicism, at least you could go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church mm. and look up stuff and have a uniform source of Catholic belief. But to say Protestants believe X, there's right. actually that that's a wide, wide gamut. I'm, I'm hesitant to really ever utter Protestants believe X, except on things like Protestants believe uh, that the Pope does not have special authority. Protestants don't believe they don't believe these Catholic things. But among those who identify as Protestant and some Catholics who, who have not had these relationships with other Protestants may not realize, hey, there are Protestants who have beliefs that are very, very, some of the beliefs are really close to Catholicism and others are, are further away. So you're right. I, I think it's important to, to be able to understand that and to have um, those honest kinds of discussions with one another, at the very least, that we firmly understand where, where each person is coming from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know I had like a very similar misconception when I was at Franciscan, I thought like, oh, by faith alone, or that you can't lose your salvation, that it meant that Protestants could just act however they wanted. I thought all Protestants thought the same thing as you were saying, that very small like percentage of them that really it's think a, you can do whatever you want and not right. lose your salvation at it's all. It's a very tiny group. Yeah. They do exist, but the vast majority, I would say, of those who believe in eternal security, the idea that mm -hmm. you can't lose your salvation, they would say, well, what that means is anyone who looks like they have they were just never saved in the, in the in the first place, and so this is helpful actually when people try to say uh, that well 
some people argue that eternal security is superior to Catholicism because some people feel like, hey, look, when I was a Catholic, I'm always worried I'm going to go to hell. I need to go to confession. Like, I'm really, really worried that I'm not saved. I got to go to confession. And you could think like, oh, and embracing this of Protestantism that says you can't lose your salvation, it's going to be so freeing. But it's not because if you're neurotically worried about whether you've lost your salvation, whether you're no longer a Christian, if you join one of these denominations, you're just going to switch your neurotic worry to then being, well, was I ever saved in the first place? Mm -hmm. Because then if you do something really bad, you'll just be saying, man, maybe when I gave my life to Christ, I wasn't really sincere. I never really was saved in the first place. So I think that in understanding it, neither side has a win here on psychological security. So we can just kind of, <laughs> we can just kind of take that off the table and just say, okay, well, what do the scriptures tell us about this then? What, what do the church fought? What, what was the received tradition in the Christian church on this? And then the, the dialogue can continue. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I just I think I definitely had a misunderstanding of what most Protestants thought, which um, I think goes back to yeah, what kind of Megan was saying, where Protestants will be like, oh, Catholics think that works just save them. They have to work for their salvation. Right. And on the other side, we're thinking the extreme of like they think they can do whatever they want after they become <laughs> Christian, which right. I did meet one person that did think that. And then yeah. I just blanketed all of Protestants as that. And Megan was like, no, that's really not how it is. And, <laughs> and there are and there are Catholics who think that Protestants aren't Christians and that if yeah. you 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 do these superstitious practices, you'll definitely go to heaven. So there's always we all always have to make sure that we judge a belief system by the by its teachings primary first then the fruit from its best believers definitely you judge it by the teachings not by the conduct of the worst believers <laughs> but on but on but on the works question i would summarize it this way people say oh catholics believe they have to do works to get into heaven there is no work we do to earn our salvation earning implies i do something and i'm given a payment for what i've done Rather, there are consequences for our behavior. So as the Catholic Church would say this, we're saved by grace and baptism, grace alone through baptism. And then after being baptized, there is only one work you must do to go to heaven. There's only one work you do. There's not even works. It's just one work. Do not commit unrepentant mortal sin. That's it. That's all. We're baptized. You're brought into the body of Christ. Do not commit an unre unrepentant mortal sin. Do not forsake your salvation and do so in an impenitent way until your death. Now, what kinds of behaviors would entail severing our relationship with Christ? That's where we're going to have agreements and disagreements, but that's you know, where we can have a dialogue about that. Yeah, so we've talked a lot about um, some of our similarities, but what do you think are still the main issues dividing Catholics and Protestants. And we've already touched on some of the misunderstandings, but what are the main misunderstandings that exist between us? Well, I think the main things that are dividing us, um, <clears throat> ultimately, it's going to go back to the issue of authority. That That is, because when you look at, let's say, the doctrines that that divide us, you know, Catholics believe in the Immaculate Conception and the bodily assumption of Mary and Protestants don't. Uh, you, you pick these different things uh, or believing in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist or the necessity of a priest who has holy orders given to him by a successor of the apostles. When you start with these doctrines, and this is probably happened with you too, when you talk about the assumption or when you talk about purgatory, mm -hmm. invariably what's going to come back to is, well, by what authority do we believe these things? Do we just look at it by what the Bible says 
in and of itself, and we'll just believe what the Bible tells us? Or do we believe the word of God is found not just in the written word, but in unwritten sacred tradition, and that Christ intended for the authority of the apostles to not perish with them, but to continue with successors? That it's even on salvation, like we'll have difference of opinions about salvation. And we could even look at scripture and disagree. Well, the scripture means this. No, it means that it is going to go back to that authority question. So there, there are these uh, doctrines that we'll have disagreements about, though it depends. Like some Protestants believe in baptismal regeneration, so they would agree with Catholics and they believe salvation uh, can be lost. So it will depend on the domination. But at the end of the day, I really think it's the authority question that has to be that has to be resolved uh, if we're going to seek further um, union and uh, unity within the, the body of Christ. Yeah, the authority one is definitely a big one. <laughs> yeah, um, I think you know you know Austin Suggs from Gospel Simplicity. Yes, um, you know we talked with him a while back, and he was kind of saying like, well, you know the papacy really is like the big turning point. Like, you know, if I believed in the papacy, like, how could I not be Catholic? But if I don't believe in the papacy, how can I be Catholic? And it does kind of really come down to that of, well, right. You know, if, if we have a different source of authority in a sense, then there can't, there can be a unity in spirit, but we can't come to an agreement in doctrine. Well, we can't because we differ about how we understand where we get our understanding of how we know what the church teaches. Uh, is the church, because for me, if we just talk about the church as lowercase c, uh, and it's just the everyone who is Christian and has been validly baptized, to me, that can have no authority whatsoever. I mean, that's just, none of us feel moved by just everybody who who is baptized because all of our beliefs are so different and we don't feel like they have authority over us to tell us they might give good um, examples in certain things. But at the end of the day, to have authority, we, we have to say, okay, well, wh where does that come from? So for me, though, as I've been having these conversations, I really do believe and my challenge to, to Protestant listeners would be to not start with the position of Protestantism being correct and then seeing if Catholicism passes the evidential test. Because for me, like when I was in my conversion experience, I looked at the Bible like it was just a set of human documents, not even the word of God. Okay, I believe there's a God out there. There's this guy, Jesus. What can I know about him? And I can know historically, he claimed to be God and he vindicated that claim by rising from the dead. So, okay, I believe God exists. He became man and he rose from the dead. But then after that, well, that doesn't mean I automatically believe that these 66 or 73 books, depending on how you count them, there's a difference there, of the Bible are inspired and inerrant, and this is my authority. For me, it's like, wait, that's a really big jump. I've just got the resurrection of Jesus, and now I have to stay here and say, all right, I believe in God and Jesus, and he rose from the dead. Do I go to Protestantism with sola scriptura? What's the evidence for that? Do I go to Eastern Orthodoxy with apostolic succession? but all of the bishops and patriarchs are equals with one another? Or do I look at Catholicism that one of them uh, is different in charisms and serves as unity amongst the other bishops? So for me, I think it's important for, for all of us to, to not, even if you're Catholic also, okay, if you're looking at everything here, don't just say, okay, well, I'm right. Why are these other people wrong? All right, let's, let's start at, at the, 
it's kind of like the end of Castaway with Tom Hanks. Do you guys ever see that movie? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the very uh, spoiler. Well, I'm not going to spoil alert because they actually spoil the movie in the trailer. So I don't care. <laughs> but um, at the very end, he goes and he's standing at that crossroads uh, and he's got the package. He's trying to like get back to the lady or whatever. But he's just standing there at, at this very metaphorical ending of where the road, there's the crossroads goes in the different directions. When we're trying to understand what Christian denomination possesses the fullness of the truth, we don't want to prejudice one over the others when we're in this investigative mode. Uh, rather, we should look at where the evidence points to each of them, whether it's Protestantism, e the Eastern churches, or Catholicism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's been helpful for Jackie and I, too, even just as we talk to each other, is like, don't come at it with the attitude of like, okay, this is what I believe. Now tell me what you believe so that I can tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> right. Which isn't helpful for anyone. And it also isn't helpful for yourself to truly understand. Um, because I know when I've approached Catholic beliefs with the open mind of being like, okay, like, what is this really teaching? Like, is this true? Like, what, what is, what does this mean? You get so much more out of it. And I think going in it with this closed mind of, well, I know I'm right. I already know everything, which is impossible. Like I, whatever, there's no way any of us in this room, like know every single thing about anything, but to go at it with an open mind of like, okay, well, what is this actually saying? Like, let me hear this out. Let me understand this. I think breeds a lot more fruitful dialogue between people and helps us actually, um, actually have more unity too. So with that, what would your advice be maybe for conversations people are having with um, across faith traditions or even as Protestants across different denominations? What maybe is your advice as you've gone into these conversations quite often just to have fruitful dialogue? I would say that the, uh, the, my advice would be the same as talking to anybody who disagrees with you. Go into the conversation. I'm not here to win a theological debate. Um, if if you set the goal of just being, I want to perfectly understand what this other person believes and why they believe it, then you're going to have a good conversation. And then if that person can perfectly understand what you believe and why you believe it, so that's good in of itself. But also, if you believe that what you believe is true and it corresponds to reality, and that other person perfectly understands what you believe, then they may see, hey, wait a minute, what I believe, there's an inconsistency here. There might not be something that's right. And then I gravitate more towards what you believe. Now, it doesn't mean we just sit around and sing Kumbaya. We can challenge one another and, and we can do so in a respectful way. But I think the best thing to do is when we're in these conversations to focus primarily on asking questions. What do you think? Why do you think that? Listening to reflect, like as in you can listen and then repeat back to the person what they said, rather than listening to refute and just trying to shut them down as soon as they're done giving their answer finding common ground wherever you can, because the more common ground we have, the easier it is to make the step across the gap if the gap closes in more with common ground. Uh, and then just knowing that it's a, the conversation is a journey. You don't have to resolve everything in one sitting and always leave the door open to, to continue to have those, to have those discussions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, yeah, for sure. And just as, as Megan was saying, coming into it, um, not like just listening to respond, but really listening and thinking about their arguments. Um, I think sometimes when I've gone into conversations with Protestants, I was too afraid to do that because I was like, what if they prove me wrong or 
whatever. But if you're going into it in the pursuit of truth, like that should never be your mindset because you're going to come out on the side of truth, no matter what, if that's what you're truly, you know, eventually like truly and prayerfully looking for and discerning. And, um, I've learned so much more about the faith by entering into conversations like that, or listening to a very intelligent Protestant thinking thinkers like, um, Dr. Ortland, who, um, I actually, it's so funny how we even connected right. Trent because it was because I watched a video of his and then also of him responding to your video with gospel right. simplicity. And I had never listened to good arguments against the papacy. And so right. I was like a little shaken. I was like, I've never heard <laughs> this. They made it super simple at Franciscan and like a lot of, I think, Catholic apologists do. Um, and then <laughs> I had dug into it more, but I had a better understanding of my belief Right. in the end and a better respect for people that didn't believe in it even though i don't agree but that helped me feel more i don't know in a way have greater respect and have more fruitful dialogue with protestants right and that's good to see what are the the clearest and ablest positions that are put forward by the other side and that's why in my book the case for catholicism for example mm-hmm. i draw from the classic reformers and what i would consider the the best uh apologists representing Protestantism and their critiques of Catholicism. And so I think Gavin is a a really, there are critics out there who I'm not a big fan of because of their demeanor. I think Gavin has an excellent demeanor. He's intelligent and he is gracious. Uh, And I hope to, in, you know, maybe I'll engage him in a live format on one of these questions in the future. Uh, That's why it's always nice to be able to find individuals like that. And so it was funny when I saw you know, I see Gavin responding to me when I, when that happens. Sometimes I don't try to get into a responding infinite feedback uh, <laughs> loop with people. Video I usually try video. <laughs> that's true. Well, I have a rule on my YouTube channel. I will respond. I will make videos critical of people who are anti-Catholic or anti-Christian, not anti-Catholic. If you're critical of Catholicism or Christianity, I'll make a video replying to you. Sometimes you will make replies to my replies. And then my firm rule is the next step is we can have a public discussion or a debate on the issue. But you're right. And I think that's also important that wherever you're at in proposing what you believe, you should uh, understand the best arguments of the other side. And and apologists do a disservice when they act like those arguments don't exist. But I will say, if you're in a, if you're leery of getting in a conversation because I I might not know what to say, or I might get stumped, that happens to everybody. You can always say, because you're afraid of saying, I don't know, and looking like you're foolish, you can say, hey, that's a really good question. And I want to get a really good answer to that or for you. So I'm going to go research people who've looked looked into it more than I have. And then I could get you some more to, to look over on this. Yeah. And I would also just encourage people to like, it can be really fun to engage with people in, you know, charitable disagreement. I think- sure. Jackie and I both just have a lot of fun, you know, going back and forth on these issues because it's it's something we both care about and it, it and it can be really fun to learn, you know, okay, why do I even believe what I believe? Like I should have a reason for believing this. I shouldn't just believe it because whatever I've always done it. And I think, you know, it's if we go into it with this feeling of like, well, it all rides on me, I have to prove my side right. Like right you know, maybe we just need to lighten up. Maybe we just need and, to have some fun. <laughs> and we can also build up our, our spiritual lives together. We can yeah. do uh, Bible study together, or we can work together 
doing apologetics in a common cause like pro-life or atheism, mm-hmm. uh, getting together to do praise. And, I've done praise and worship with Protestant friends, uh, you know, that we are united in prayer to and uh, the common theological elements that we have in our adoration of the one triune God. Mm-hmm. So then that way we build one another up and we help one another as we face a culture that uh, is really uh, the, where we are both in the minority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, with this last question, we also asked this question to Austin Suggs from Gospel Simplicity. But do you think it's possible that all Christians will be united on this side of heaven? Or do you think Christians should strive for unity? Or is it a fruitless pursuit? Because I've heard people on both sides say we're never going to be unified because it would take people on both sides to really compromise on things that they believe in. But also, um, you know, Jesus wants us to be unified. So is that something that we should be striving for? Well, I think that... um you know, in Matthew, what is it? Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Imagine if we were like, well, that's dumb because I can't be perfect in this life. <laughs> well, no, you, you can't be. But the point here is Jesus is saying that this is what we should strive for because God has given us uh, his grace to be able to do that. And for God, nothing is impossible. And so in doing that, you know, why we should not allow our human limits to prevent us from trying to carry out God's will. God's will is that we, we follow him. We don't fall into sin. We love our neighbor as ourself. And that all of us, as Jesus prayed for in John 17, that we are one, that we are one, united together in a unity, just as Jesus and the father shared a, a perfect union together uh, in the glory that they shared prior to the creation of the world that that God wants us to be, he wants all of us to have more true beliefs and less false beliefs. He wants us to be free from sin and to be free from error. God doesn't want us to sin. And he doesn't want us to be in error. So clearly, then when it comes to these beliefs where they're, um, uh, we, we can't uh, just merely compromise on them, we have to figure out who's right and who's wrong, we have to continue to seek out uh, our understanding and to seek out that union, even with our feeble human minds. If we can't understand how that union could occur at some day in the future, doesn't mean we should stop and we should not strive for it. I mean, I'm sure if you ask the apostles 2000 years ago, when the world was shrouded in pagan darkness and 0.01, per, you know, 0.1% of the world believed in the true God at all, I'm sure a lot of Christians at that time could never have imagined the world looking like it is today, where half the world uh, believes uh, in the God of Abraham, you know, half the world professes belief in monotheism, and uh, a third believes in in the true God. Uh, They, you know, in the ancient world, they could have never imagined it'd be like this in 2000 years. Who knows what will happen in another 2000 years? I say we should strive to do God's will. He'll figure out everything, everything else after that. Romans Mm -hmm. 8. God, everything works for good for those who who love God. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And it's convicting for me because I am one of the pessimistic people that every time we would ask that question, <laughs> I'd be joking. I'd be like, no, that's just, that's not going to happen. Um, but that's really convicting that all we have to do, you know, is strive to do God's will. And he really will take care of the rest. And we can't see how he's going to do that. If he will do that on this side of heaven, I don't think any of us have the answer of how he would do that, but he definitely can. And right. I think that's good to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on and for, yeah, dialoguing with us and talking. Um, this has been just really awesome, you know, because both Jackie and I just really love encouraging people to, you know, just talk about things, just disagree. It's okay. You know, like, let's, you know, have a conversation. Let's figure out what each other believe and understand. Um, so yeah, I'm just so thankful and grateful that you have, were able to come on and, and talk about this from your perspective as well. Thank you guys so much for, for having me. Uh, I'm very grateful for the conversations that you're having and we need um, more Christians to be willing to have these important conversations. So I, I was uh, very grateful to come on and just keep up all of your good work. Yeah. Well, awesome. yeah, thank you. And I'm sure we'll, we're looking forward to if you and uh, Dr. Ortland do debate, we're having um, Gavin on actually in like about a month or so um, to talk about baptism. Cause Megan and I disagree on that. So that should be really <laughs> interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah. Now what I is, believe, what is, yeah. so does, does Gavin not, he's a Protestant who does not believe in baptism regeneration? He, yeah, yeah. So he's a believer's baptism. He's a Baptist. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you'll, then you're going to have to have, uh, then you're going to have to have a Lutheran to come on, talk I about know, baptismal right? regeneration. And cause that's what, that is one of those interesting issues where there's that. Um, and, and I think that's important also for Protestants to consider because some Protestants will say, well, you know, we, we have our, our tradition, we have our beliefs, but a concern I have is because some Protestants will say, well, look, we all agree on the important things. What else matters? Well, no, the other things do matter. Like, mm -hmm. should we baptize babies or not? Yeah. If baptism, <laughs> if baptism is what saves us, you better believe we should. Yeah. But if baptism is not what saves us, you're just getting the kid wet for no reason. That's something you got to consider. So yeah, I love to see how your conversations go in that regard. Yeah, yeah. yeah it'll be yeah. good. We're excited about that. Yeah. Um, oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. And I'll definitely, I haven't finished either of the two books that you sent me, but I'm really excited to finish those. I'm reading one on the Eucharist right now. That's pretty intense. So. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> is it, uh, is it Brant's book? Um, no, it's, uh, it just came out. It's the one by, um, like it's like the secret history or like transubstantiation. Oh, okay. It was um, the cordial Catholic, if you know of him. He oh, was, yeah, K. Albert Little. Yeah, yeah. Interviewed two the two um, authors that wrote it, and oh, I good. can't remember their names right now. Oh, but, yeah, I'll, I'll have to look. I'll have to look into that. Very yeah, good. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll be doing an episode soon talking about the, the Eucharist. Eucharist too. So. <laughs> yeah. so, good. Yeah. I disagree yeah. on that, but. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much. And we'll let you know when the uh, the episode is going up. But yeah, this has yeah. been such a great conversation. And I learned a lot um, that I actually don't think I realized before about how similar some of our beliefs are. So that was really great. Amen. Very yeah. good. All right. <laughs> well, a good th night and are able to get some sleep. <laughs> <laughs> pray, pray that I do. Right. Pray that I, I do. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Trent. All right. Thank you, guys. Mm -hmm.